Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Talking About Podcast. I am your host, as always, Daniel Oringer, joined by Sean Kennedy, your favorite co-host. And Sean, we had we had planned for something else. We were planning to have a nice mock draft podcast. You know, the NBA draft's finally coming up, I believe, November 18th. Thought that would be exciting. I'm a huge draft nerd. Thought it would be really fun. And then literally everything exploded yesterday. Yeah, we had been discussing people that could be brought into the coaching staff, the front office. A lot of names had been thrown around. And then to everyone's surprise, Pete Dominguez will be joining <laughs> the Sixers coaching staff. Uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of news yesterday. Obviously, the headliner and what we're going to talk about is Daryl Morey, new head of best president of basketball operations for the Sixers. He will be working above Elton brand who remains the team's GM and yeah. Also some coaching hires yesterday announced with uh, Sam Cassell, Dan Burke, uh, former Pacers assistant and uh, Pete Dominguez, who was a video coordinator for the Clippers. He'll be joining as a associate coach. Um, so yeah, a lot of really exciting news and what was a pretty you know, pessimistic and not really much happening off season a couple weeks ago, suddenly they got a all-star coaching staff and what's widely regarded as the best executive. Uh, that definitely that was available and, and one of the top names in all the league in Daryl Morey. So exciting time to be a Sixers fan. It's, it's great to have a different tone to a podcast for a change. That it is. And Joining us on our podcast today is Jackson Frank of Liberty Ballers, who, again, originally contacted because he is a, an NBA draft expert, one of the very best you're going to find on the whole wide internet. But we, we figured, we told Jackson, like, you know, we might need to change topics. He was still cool to come on and talk with us. Hopefully in the next few weeks, he'll also be able to do some more draft stuff with us too. Jackson, how are you, man? I'm doing well. I'm I'm cool to talk about either one. I, I think this is this was a fun twist. You know, it's like there was nothing on the Sixers front for two months after their season ended, and then they saved all of it. You know, so everyone could talk about it rather than you know rather than bury it in September while the playoffs are still going on. They made sure they made sure all eyes were uh, were ready to talk about them, and everyone was you know everyone was ready. I guess. Well, Jackson, you know when you're going through this kind of change in your organization, you have to first hire the head coach with your front office, the new head coach, then replace all that front, the entire front office in the same day. And so now they will have their coach. I mean, only the Sixers could do it this way. <laughs> yeah, the order of operations there was, uh, was not traditional by any means. So we should probably start just, how excited are you guys about Darren Morey? Because it's a very basketball nerd thing to get excited about a GM being hired, but this isn't just like, oh, the Sixers hired a pretty good up-and-coming executive. Like, say the Sixers had hired Mike Zarin from the Celtics, who's a very well-respected, like, assistant GM throughout the league. Like, I bet we would all be happy. I bet we'd all be satisfied with that hire. But this is Daryl Morey. This is – this is he is a GM legend. And I was just so excited. As soon as I saw the news, I was freaking out. I think I had – I think I would just come back from a long run – long run and I was like my phone was exploding as soon as I picked it up and I also one of the funniest things that I knew I was going to get this text as soon as the news broke because Daryl Morey he was an undergrad at Northwestern that's where he got his bachelor's degree in computer science where the university I'm currently attending and as soon as he was hired as soon as his announcement was made my dad texted me Daniel, you should try and get an internship with the Sixers. Always trying to connect dots left and right. I knew I knew he was going to text me something like that as soon as I picked up my phone. I mean, I'm extremely excited. I think some people have kind of mentioned this, but it's kind of the exact opposite of the feeling when Sam Hinkie resigned mm -hmm. uh, all those years ago. And it's, it's not just that, you know, Daryl's an incredibly – well-respected GM. It, it's just that he will go back to doing all those things on the margins that the Sixers just haven't done the last few years. So yeah, he's capable of being a good draft evaluator. He's had some good draft picks over the years, unearthed some, some guys that came from nothing and, and now are 
positive contributors in the league. Uh, he's pulled off some good trades, but he's he like for the big name guys who you know we'll talk about a little later. But he's also willing to, you know, do the legwork to get a draft pick for nothing. Uh, you know, do those sort of pick swaps and creative things that weren't really that in the public eye back when he kind of was at the forefront of initiating those types of things. And now more and more general managers use that. And he was kind of the trailblazer in that regard. So just having somebody that's willing to be creative and think outside the box and do all the little things that along with the big things that this team is going to have to do. It's just, it's very exciting. Yeah. I think the, you know, there's a lot of talk about, Oh, like Maury Ball, and you know, like all the Sixers don't have any shooters, and they have all the you know, they have they have a wing who likes to take a lot of mid-range jumpers and Tobias Harris and stuff. And I think that's a little bit miss. It's like it's a it's a misunderstanding of Maury as a GM and his vision. I think Maury Ball worked because that was what Harden wanted to do, and that was what that team that maximized him the best. I think Maury's going to try to build a team that best complements or a scheme or whatever a roster that best complements Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. He's not going to force. Not going to force them to start taking six threes a game. He's not going to force Simmons to start taking corner threes a lot. Um, obviously, he'll encourage you know a, an analytics approach in terms of shot profile. But he's going to build the best roster and scheme around his start. I don't think by any means he's a rigid innovator or beholden to a certain vision. Um, so I think this is a really really good um, hiring because it. I, I Maury has shown that he is willing to do what it takes to build around his stars, and the Sixers have to all NBA caliber guys. And that is, those are the hardest things to get in the NBA. No, I think you're exactly right with that, Jackson. I, I wrote about something similar when a month ago I wrote about Mike D'Antoni when we thought, when we thought he would be the Sixers coach and Elton Brand would still be the GM. Those, what seems like many, many ages ago. Um, but I kind of wrote how D'Antoni didn't, his style was not just shoot threes, no post-ups ever, not a lot of post-ups, but still like his style was more about building the best system around his stars. And I, the same can be said for Maury. I think it was Kevin O'Connor in his piece the other day said that the two real foundations of what Maury believes in are doing whatever you can to get superstars. And then also just trying to from there once you have built the team you want once you have the superstars you want getting them to take the most efficient shots they can that does not necessarily mean just everyone stand behind the line and play exactly like the rockets did the last four years it just means doing whatever you can to, when you, once you have the guys you want and the best fitting team you have playing them in the best way that they can yeah, he's gone through different iterations and different rosters over the years. And, you know, it's a stat that gets thrown around a lot, but he was never below 500 or the Rockets were never below 500 in his over a decade as a GM. And he went through, you know, he he inherited the Yao Ming, Tracy McGrady roster. Then he went to, he got Harden and then he brought Dwight Howard in, who is not a guy you think of as the current Moray ball. Um, and, you know, he kept cycling in different stars, Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook. And uh, there was a little period of time this past season when Russ didn't shoot threes at all for a couple weeks. And they, they were just trying different things and adapting to different circumstances, see what would work. And I think it, it just shows that he's flexible and he will put people in a position under him, whether it's the rest of his front office or the coaching staff and the players that are on the floor and just give them the free reign to try different things and see what will work. And I don't think it's quite as rigid a system as people might want to believe based on the the stereotypes that are out there about, uh, about Moray. No, yeah. Think- I'm, I'm really excited to see, like I think one of the things that has been maybe reported or rumored or assumed is there has, hasn't been maybe as much collaboration between Joel Embiid and the front office or the decision makers as you'd like in your, your franchise star. And that's something I think Maury and Harden did really well is they got a really good open line of communication. Obviously that takes time to, to develop, but I do think you're going to, you're going to see a better line of communication or hopefully moves that are more reflective of maximizing um, Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons um, because I don't think necessarily the, ro- the front front office has always understood the best way to maximize him. Um, 
and Harden, like you mentioned, Sean, like there have been a lot of different guys that Harden's played with, three different kind of dominant personalities and stars with Dwight Howard and Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook. Um, so I, I don't think by any means they're going to try one thing with Embiid and um, give it up or whatnot. Obviously, Harden and Embiid are, are different caliber of players. You know, Embiid's very good, but they're just you know kind of a higher tier for Harden. But um, I don't think Harden's ever had a prolonged player who was you know as young and good as Ben Simmons that Embiid has next to him. Um, you know, obviously he had CP for a year or two years, but um, yeah, I'm just really interested to kind of see how that builds and hopefully that Embiid. Um, you know, Embiid and Simmons are, are close and they're talking with Maury a lot about kind of the, the vision they see for this team because that's those guys would be the ones that are going to take take the Sixers as far as they can go those three guys. Well Harden and Maury did have a good line of communication until Harden went to Tillman Fertitta and forced Maury to trade Chris Paul for Russell Westbrook which basically submarined the whole situation there. At least that's my read on that what happened there from everything I've read. The, allegedly daniel <laughs> allegedly. i just i i mean this is not the time to go in on why i don't like russell westbrook as a player very much it's just not the time for that but one thing we should note about more is so there's been a, as soon as the move was announced you were you just had to see it coming that all the social media trolls on twitter on whatever they were going to be throwing out oh Ben Simmons is going to get traded right away and Bede's going to get traded right away. How are they going to get Harden on the team? I don't think any of that stuff's happening. I don't, I would assume neither of you think either of those kinds of trades are happening either. No, I don't think so. Yeah. So, but the one thing we can expect is Maury is going to try, maybe not, he, I don't think he's going to try and trade those two, but it was John Hollinger in his piece the other day mentioned how the Rockets called more teams about just random trade offers than any team in the league like even if they weren't ever made as trades they said the rockets would just throw trades at you all the time to see if they could get something yeah i think i think it was 77 trades during his tenure as the rockets general manager yeah it was a crazy number like that and even more and that said that and basically i think hollinger is saying that's only like maybe one eighth of all the trade offers he made just constantly like just throwing everything out there that he could so i would expect him to he's probably already made several calls around the league saying hey you know what could we see what he could get for al horford seeing what he might be able to get for tobias harris seeing like does josh is there a trade that works for josh richardson that makes the team better all that kinds of stuff so i'm guessing we could expect that do you do you guys have any trades that just come to mind like i don't know off the top of your head like probably the big one is can the sixers land chris paul because there is a history there with Daryl Morey, with Doc Rivers, and we have already all been speculating all this offseason, could the Sixers land Chris Paul to try and fix all their problems? Yeah, I, actually, I, I wrote about this morning for LibertyBallers.com, and uh, it's it's interesting because, yeah, Morey certainly is a guy that goes after star players. We, we mentioned the number of ones he had in Houston, and there's the famous weapons race comment he made right after acquiring Paul back in 2017, um, where he basically said, you're, you're either going out and getting the stars or you're just going to be on the sidelines in this league. Like it, he recognizes it's a star-driven league. So he obviously went out and got Paul before, but is it a situation where he says, hey, the Sixers already have their stars? Like they have Embiid, they have Simmons. And sure, it's always great to get other stars, but he's also taken a long-term view and he he's here for the next five years at least according to his his contract he signed so is he going to say hey i'm inheriting a really depleted war chest of assets that thanks to the tobias harris trade and everything that's going on the past few years as the organization took on a win now approach there's really not much left in the cupboard so would he say, hey, if we have to give up, you know, probably the team's best young young player that's not a star in Matisse Seibel, uh, the team's best remaining draft asset in this 21st overall pick, and, you know, maybe something else just to bring in Paul, uh, is that a smart idea? I mean, I mean a lot of I, – I would say he should, and a lot of people would agree that, you know, you do whatever you can to get – 
Paul in at, at, when he still has one or two years left of being a really, you know, all NBA or just below all NBA caliber player. While you have Embiid and Simmons in their prime, you got to, you know, push for the, the title. And I think a lot of people will believe that. But, you know, it, there's definitely an argument to be made that you can't just take it, strip it all the way down to the bare bones. So it's, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of approach he takes now that he's here in Philadelphia. Yeah, I, I'm I'm curious, you know, what exactly is the package that is going to require be required to for Chris Paul to be traded? Because last, I mean, last summer, all those picks that Maury had to give up to to get off that contract, and obviously Paul's come off a down year, and um, you know, once once kind of the rift or the reported rift between Harden and Paul um, was reported, I guess I used "reported" in the same sentence twice. Um, anyway, once that was publicized, I think that kind of hurt his leverage or the leverage they had to, to trade him. So I'm curious, like a year later after Paul's had a resurgent season, he was an all NBA guy, um, was really good again, kind of getting back to those, his roots again and being the all NBA guy that he, we know he is. I'm curious, like, is, is he a positive asset again? Like, is he something so that OKC is, is going to be able to get, get like pieces for, or is he going to be someone still with that huge contract who has an injury history, who is 34 years old or whatever? Um, so I'm curious, but I don't. I don't think the Sixers have a ton of, you know, stuff that they really need to keep around and be in Simmons um, because the roster currently is so not conducive to maximizing those two. You know, obviously you don't want to send out a, t- a bunch of like future picks for a guy who might be around for two years and only be an All Star level player for another year and a half. Um, but there isn't a ton you can give up that you know would would be like, oh, the Sixers are really screwed now because they're in a pretty unfortunate situation as is with the roster and and the finances, but. Um, I am curious to see how the, the Chris Paul trade negotiations go go with whichever team ends up landing if he is dealt. Yeah, when we had Dominic Flame, a Thunder's writer, on the pod about a month ago, I want to say, he was seemed pretty okay with just Al Horford and Josh Richardson for Chris Paul straight up. And I, I don't know if I'm remembering that perfectly, but it was something – I remember me and Sean when we made our offer because we were kind of doing like who – like a live like – Sixers, Thunder, Bucks trade negotiations podcast. When we, our initial offer, he said was probably more than he would have asked for, which, I mean, if the Thunder view it as just trying to get off Chris Paul's contract, trying to reset their team, build around Shea, build around all the potential draft picks they're going to have here in the future, just, I mean, that would be like, I would do Josh Richardson and Al Horford for a Chris Paul in a heartbeat. Yeah, I remember on the pod, I started listing off assets as part of a trade. And I could tell he just was like, really, you're going that you're giving us that much. Like I'd absolutely take what you're offering. And I guess the, I I, I think it's interesting that what Philadelphia fans perceive as Paul's value may not quite be what it is on the other side. And he might even be a little more gettable than we think. To be fair, we were in a much more pessimistic, pessimistic mood at that point. Now, now everything is cheery in Sixers world. Maybe we're, maybe we're feeling better about all the other pieces on the team just because, I mean, the Daryl Morey news was just so incredible. It was such like a great way, a great boost to a, just a regular Wednesday. Yeah, I'm the one thing I am curious about, not in like, and I, I want to preface, I am not by any means someone who is shouting from the rooftops that they have to split up Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, that it's not a good fit. I think it's better than, than people think. But I am curious if Maury and, you know, if they bring the, the kind of revamp front office, is that if they, you know, in my opinion, rightfully view Embiid as the cornerstone, would they at least be like, is Ben Simmons a, a non-negotiable in trade talks? If someone is available, like if another star is available that maybe complements um, and be better and I don't think by any means you would or should trade Simmons in for mm-hmm. CP3 but like you know someone with three years left who's in their prime or something becomes available in eight months would you be at least receptive to the idea of maybe putting Ben Simmons in that package and I don't think the previous front office would ever uh, be open to that so I'm curious if Maury is assuming he uh, assuming he views Embiid as the the main guy there um, and again not by any means advocating to put him on the trade market but if you know if it is he someone that they would at least entertain offers for if another star becomes available that better complements Embiid? It's interesting that you mentioned that. I was listening to um, the Game Theory podcast that Sam Vecini hosts this morning, and 
he had Nikias Duncan on who suggested like Ben Simmons for Bradley Beal straight up how that might just solve a lot of the Sixers problems and we discussed that trade on here before that kind that type of trade generally the conclusion they came to is that even though it might help both teams like the Wizards getting a young player to build around for the future the Sixers having an incredible shot creator better fit floor spacer along with Embiid and Bradley Beal that it's just hard to sell Simmons when Simmons just has a higher value than Bradley Beal due to probably defense the defensive versatility he has just the fact that he's a little bit younger I I just think Ben Simmons is a little bit better of an overall player in my estimation though Bradley Beal is very good obviously like what do you guys think of Bradley Beal for Ben Simmons straight up I'll let Sean go first on this one man that's I actually brought up Bradley Beal's name one of our first podcasts when we we're talking about yeah. <laughs> trades and I, I said I would at least have to ponder an Embiid for Beal situation I I don't think I would do Beal for Simmons um I just think Simmons's ceiling as a elite defensive player and a guy that is still an effective offensive player and you know, holding out hope that he still has room to progress in that area. And, you know, his back injury, and I know he missed the playoffs, notwithstanding, I think he's less of an injury concern long-term than Embiid just because of how much more weight Embiid carries in the history of injuries for big men in the league. Um, So it's a really, it's an interesting question. And I, I would have to think about it, but my gut reaction is I wouldn't do that deal. Um, but yeah, it would definitely probably elevate your short-term ceiling a little bit just because Beal would be a much better offensive complement for Embiid. But it wouldn't solve the Sixers' concern in the playoffs last year of they couldn't guard any of Boston's star wings. That would like If Simmons had been there, that could have made a big difference, whereas Beal's not going to help you in that area at all so yeah I think I would stick with Simmons yeah it's a really it is a really interesting kind of thought for him because there are kind of a lot of different components to it and how you evaluate it um Beal has two years left in his deal um mm-hmm. Simmons is going to start his new his new Ricky Max extension starting next season uh so you have three you have three more years of Simmons you know um in a perfect world uh, obviously, Beal complements and be better as as Sean and, and Daniel have said, um, offensively at least. But I think defensively, that's a really really good pairing. Embiid and Simmons. You have one guy who can limit and deter a lot of drill penetration, and another guy who can close off the rim um, with the best of them in the league. That's an awesome pairing. And like Sean mentioned, you always need a guy who's able to guard one through four and kind of you know at least contain or slow down those big wing creators that we're seeing more of. In the NBA nowadays, and Simmons has proven to do that, uh, was incredible this year when healthy, and then obviously um, was really impressive last postseason, um, slowing down D'Angelo Russell and then doing what he could against Kawhi, even though Kawhi was still incredible mm-hmm. uh, in that series. So I, I would agree with Sean. I, I would not do it. I, I think the defensive versatility and, and the room for growth and the, the three extra years on the deal um, just put over the top. And I think Simmons is just a little bit better player than Beal even if Beal's a better fit overall, um, because I think offense is still more important than defense. Um, but I, I, w- I would not do that. Um, I think they're in the same tier of players, but I would really like to see what Simmons could do because you have him for five years. It's not by any means an albatross contract. Like it's not even an overpay really. He just made all NBA in his third year. Um, so I, I think I would try and aim a little higher rather than like a top 25-ish guy. I'd be aiming for like that top 12 to 14 tier and maybe you have a couple of draft picks you could attach for Sim- attach Simmons to to get that caliber of player but um, you just never know what's going to become available I don't I don't think Beal is the guy you have to put all your chips into and, and get rid of Simmons I agree with both of you and that I probably wouldn't pull the trigger on that trade and to be fair I'm a very I'm a very conservative trader I run four fantasy football teams and I just just today pulled off my first trade because I get offers all the time and I just can never convince myself that I'm getting fair value back. I hate, it's just some part of me is like, I don't want to trade a guy who I think is better 
just by the slightest margin, even if it makes my team better, because I feel like there's got to be better value out there somewhere. But another thing I wanted to touch on is how Jackson. How many, so how many fantasy football teams do you think Daryl Morey runs? Oh, God. <laughs> how many leagues do you think he wins? He's, he's got to have like at least a 50% success rate, I would think. I mean, you can only... Maybe they're not going well this year. Maybe that's why he decided to. Maybe, <laughs> maybe he thought he could accrue a, enough money that, you know, maybe he wanted to win some money and then he wasn't going well. So he called the Sixers and worked out a deal. Oh, man. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Uh, one thing I wanted to touch on here, Jackson, I think you mentioned there how you, and just correct me if I'm wrong, you said like between Embiid and Simmons, you view Embiid as more of the centerpiece of the team? Yeah, that's that's at least how I would, I would view mm -hmm. things. Yeah, so I just wanted to touch on that real quick. So I've had some I remember I had an interesting discussion with Henry Ward, who uh, USA basketball trainer. He runs the blog, The Kick Ahead. He's done some really great work. And I was talking to him about like what he thinks the Sixers should do. And he was saying how he kind of values Ben Simmons more that and like the way basketball is headed, that he could be such an, he could be like one of the best centers in the NBA. If you just moved him to full-time small ball center, he might be the, one of the top five centers in the NBA tomorrow. And I think that's a really interesting idea for me personally, throughout this last regular season, I was kind of starting to lean that way toward, I just think I like Ben Simmons more. I I'm a sucker for guys who really bring it every night on defense, like their effort. And he was just so engaged the whole time. I really liked watching him play. So I kept thinking throughout the season, man, I I'm at the point where I think I kind of view, view Ben in a better fashion than I view Joel but then in the bubble it just kind of has reinforced me I know it's unfair to Banks he had his injury problems but just how much Embiid tried to do for that team in the bubble and basically got no help throughout the the four horrible losses versus the Celtics Embiid did about all he could and he just did not have enough around him and it was a reminder that Embiid is a truly special player and I so Jackson already said what he said that he kind of views Joel just a little bit higher than Ben, at least for the Sixers at this point. You can go in more in depth on that, Jackson. And Sean, I'd be curious to hear what your opinion is on this. I think that's definitely the pecking order. And I think Embiid, you know, is the better player in the moment. The only, the only thing that's kind of made me question it is we've seen time and again that you can't have when everything kind of slows down in the playoffs, it's very hard to get your a low post operator the ball over and over again in for efficient offensive production. It's just much easier to have your main scoring option in crunch time be a guy that can have the ball in his hands on the perimeter and kind of self-create or, you know, draw the defense and kick it to somebody else. It's it's it just takes such a toll on a guy like Embiid where he has to battle with these huge 250 pounders every, every time down the court, just to try to establish position. And people say, Oh, it's cause he's not well conditioned enough, but you know, there's, there's conditioning and then there's having to expend all your energy just to get to a spot on the floor before you even have to go into your, whatever offensive move you're going to try to do. And I just think that's really hard. And I've kind of moved away from 
that guy can be your go-to option number one player. And that's not to say centers can't, because you look at a guy like Jokic and he's just, he's a center, but he's an entirely different type of player where he can shoot from the outside. He's an incredible passer and you can use him as the hub from the top of the key to initiate offense for others. Whereas that's just not Embiid's game. Um, So I, I've just kind of moved away from, you know, Embiid has to be the long-term option as the as the number one guy on the team, just because I think it's a more difficult path to go down if you're looking to be a title contender. Um, so I think it would have. I, I think the ultimate thing was having a guy like Butler, where you have somebody that can initiate while still having Embiid and doing all the incredible things he can do for you on the court. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just, it's an interesting question. And, and the Sixers are just in, in a tough spot where they're, they're top two players. Neither of those guys are the, Hey, I can just create and get your team a bucket guy from the perimeter. Yeah. I, so I think if, I think all that is valid and it's, it's very much similar to kind of how I would view things, especially when you, you include the Jimmy Butler, um, stuff. I think if you're picking between one of them, like I think Embiid is a better player and he's at least who you should, at least for the time being, try to build around if you have to pick one. Obviously right now you can build around both if you'd like. Um, there's a really interesting concept Ben Taylor wrote, wrote about or he podcasted about or something recently about this idea of O one versus D1. So like your, your offensive anchor versus your defensive mm-hmm. anchor. And I think everyone would agree that Embiid is good enough to be a defensive anchor. I think as, as Sean and both Daniel, I think you, could, you both kind of talked about the Sixers still need that kind of offensive anchor. Totally. Um, and so and I think if it comes to it and you trade Embiid, you still need someone better than Simmons to lead you to a title. Um, I still think you need someone better than Embiid to lead you to a title. So um, I would, you know, it's like if you have to, like I said, if you have to pick one, I'm building around Embiid. Um, but I still think each team, each player couldn't be the number one guy or the best player um, on a title team right now. Um, I think. I think Embiid has has reached very high peaks, um, definitely higher than, than Ben Simmons, but not to the point where you have sustained confidence in him as your your lead guy. Um, but yeah, they just need someone else they can get. Like I think if you can if you could get a guy like obviously like Jimmy Butler back and have Embiid be your um, number one or your your number one defensive guy, then you're totally fine because you don't have to throw the ball to Embiid every time in crunch time. You can run pick and rolls. You can let the wing creator do his thing from the perimeter. Um, so I definitely agree with what Sean's saying because you saw it like even in that Sixers Celtics series. Obviously, the Sixers weren't going to win that series, but there were a couple of games they had chances, um, and they you know either whether Embiid was tired or they couldn't get an intra pass in there. Um, like, like Sean, it's just a lot tougher to when your guy needs someone else to set the table for him. Even if Embiid's a really good self creator from the post, someone's going to get him, get him the ball in that position anyway. Well, Jackson, Daryl's just going to draft Desmond Bain at twenty one, and all these problems will be solved. Like. <laughs> He'll, he's never going to miss a shot. He's going to make every right pass, and suddenly the Sixers will be champions. It's that simple. Yeah, it's, that's that's what they call Mori Ball, baby. <laughs> yes. Is there are there any other like? I'm really excited to see what Daryl does with that draft pick, whether he trades it or if he goes in on a prospect. I selfishly because I love the draft and I love all these prospects. I kind of well, I mean, it's not a great draft, but I love looking at prospects. I want him to take some because you get so excited when you see the new rookie who you kind of have all this hope in like what they could be. And I think there could be some really interesting players available at 21. I already mentioned Desmond Bain, great shooter, smart defender, despite lacking some physical, like he's not a great like upper tier athlete for an NBA player player, but just a really smart player, incredible shooter. I'm a huge Kyra Lewis guy. He probably didn't fall that far. Tyrell Terry's another name that if he's there at 21, great shooter from Stanford, has put on some more muscle, I believe grew an inch in like the during the past few months. He would be really interesting. Any other names to you, Jackson, that would be really good for the Sixers at 21? Uh, I I love Grant Miller of the Sixers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think his self-creation would really, really be useful. Somebody can create on his own from a standstill. Incredible burst, really good finisher. Um, has improved as a pass the last couple of years, but I think it was important. Um, but I think what you saw for the Sixers, especially in that playoffs, they just didn't have anyone on the perimeter that could create an advantage and get by a guy. And I think that's something that Grant Miller is really good at. 
Um, it seems like almost assured that he'll be there at 21 or maybe even early, some of those early second round picks the Sixers have at the moment. Um, that's a guy I really like. Obviously, you know, you mentioned Desmond Bain. I'm a fan of his, but I, I do think Riller would be my preference mm-hmm. over Bain for the Sixers because Bain, one of the things he does lack is burst. He's a little bit of a slow decision maker offensively, even if he is really good as, as a shooter and being a pretty good playmaker too. So um, Riddler would be my number one guy just because I think they need someone who can create advantages and you know, compromise the defense. And he's got such good burst and such a good athlete, even though he's old and played in a bad conference and is a bad defender. Um, I just think his, his offensive and his creation upside is really, really important to what the Sixers need. How, how excited would you be? Because I know you like this guy too. If they took Grant Riller at 21 and Isaiah Joe at 34. Yeah, that would be that would be a really really good haul for the for those two. Um, I, I like both guys. Obviously, Isaiah Joe, incredible shooter, um, gets them up at basically historic rate for college um, from three. So yeah, that would be a really good haul. Uh, I am curious though to see talk about Mori. More you know, Mori has proven a lot of times he likes to go for veterans, and mm-hmm. so I'm curious to see how many of those second round picks they actually come away with or they end up using next month. Yeah, that's a good point, uh, Sean. I know you. Hope we didn't leave you out in the dark the last few minutes with some some of this draft talk. Just from like your point of view, would you rather have a new prospect or would you rather have Daryl trade that pick for a veteran? I guess it just depends on how you know impactful the veteran will be. If it's going to be, hey, we need somebody, we need a better version of Mike Scott, like somebody to be a more effective eighth or ninth man off the bench, but we're really counting on him to be a veteran presence and, you know, just help the team in that way, then I wouldn't want that because what the team does need, um, you know, they need a lot of things still, despite the great coaching and front office hires they made recently. Um, They still need young guys that can get better. I mean, they have Matisse and they have Shake and, to whatever degree you think Furkan can still grow. I think he's kind of probably topped out. Um, and, and Mariel Shayok. <laughs> uh, I'm not quite ready to call him uh, one, one of their young young up-and-comers. Uh, I need to see a little bit more of from him outside just, of the G League. Just because uh, he's not young doesn't mean he can be a young up-and-comer. <laughs> <laughs> at, at least be an upper-comer. Like, you got to fill one of the two criteria for me I'm, to... Uh, I don't know who else is on Shayok Island. It might just be me. I am there. Yeah, I'm definitely not. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they, they, and especially with the, the cap situation they're in and they just, they really need those young cost controlled contracts from guys who can be helpful rotation pieces. So you can't just get rid of those pathways to having those type of guys just because you need a veteran to come in. Um, but you know, if Maury decides, Hey, this guy's, he's going to be a better version of Alec Burks for us, like a six man that can really create and kind of anchor that second unit offense. And that will really make a difference for this team. Then yeah, you probably have to think about something like that. Um, I I guess it all depends what those picks would garner for the Mm. team and and who would be available. Jackson, what do you think the odds are that Daryl, like the first day he walks into the Sixers front office and they have like their draft board on a whiteboard, it just shows number one, Daniel Oturu, and then like Colin, he's a basketball guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't, I, I would be highly surprised if, if this, I, I wouldn't say how, I would be quite surprised if the Sixers target <laughs> any of those, those bigs. Um, and I think there might be some issues with Daryl Morey if he, if he is a lead decision maker and they come away with, Vernon Carey and Daniel O'Toole. I think I saw a mock draft where it had them taking like, it was some recent mock draft. I believe CBS Sports. I I would want to check that, but had them taking Jalen Smith at twenty one with like Riller still on the board, and I almost I just cringed. Yeah, I, I get the idea. Maybe that they need some shooting, but I don't. They should target that early. I mean, if Smith was available with. One of those seconds, like I mean, I, I would get it to an extent, but yeah, they they should not be targeting any sort of big man, even if he can shoot. Yeah, it's the just 
and they can draft the center if they want. I mean, I'd, like, I would not spend the 21st pick on it. Probably not the 34th or 36th, if, if so, just one of them. And, like, honestly, I would rather have a guy like – I would rather just ha- – I just love having awesome defenders at center. So, like, a Xavier Tillman or a Paul Reed would probably be where I would go. I don't know about how you Yeah, feel. I'm not – I – yeah, I – I, I, I like Tillman. I, I think if he's there in the second round, you could at least consider mm-hmm. it. I'm not really a Paul Reed guy personally. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I would stray away from him. But um, yeah, I think Tillman would be a solid value play in the second second uh, round, assuming you're confident in him developing his shot. Um, obviously, he's shown some willingness the last couple of years to shoot from three, but he hasn't had the success you would you would want from a potential pick and pop big. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure Daryl will have a good grasp on this. Hopefully... I mean, we're, we just got to hope he does a good job of the draft process, which I'm confident he will. Um, we already mentioned some of the other hires that were made for the Sixers the other day. Um, any thoughts on Dan Burke and Sam Cassell joining the coaching staff, as well as Pete Dominguez, who is the Clippers video coordinator, joint, joining the Sixers? Uh, Sam Cassell assisted with the Clippers last year, now with the Sixers, and Dan Burke, who was basically the defensive coordinator for the Pacers for a very long time. And actually this past year had the clip where he was talking about how Joel Embiid, he, he does not like the Sixers and that Joel Embiid gets away with a lot of stuff to which Joel responded on Twitter. The only way he could can't wait to get away with stuff together, man. It was, great. It, it was, I hate that team, Daniel. Let's not sugarcoat it. <laughs> and uh, yeah. And that was the, the sign for me that things have completely turned around uh, as of the post Moray hiring uh, just Joel Embiid getting back to trolling. That's what the process is all about. Um, so I, that was like seeing the, the leaves start to come back onto the trees as the first sign of spring um, jo- Joel getting back to having fun on Twitter. Um, but yeah, it's the, uh, I mean, they're all great hires and I think Sam Cassell's the guy that, is really well-respected in the league and could be a, a great head coach someday down the road. Um, but yeah, the, the Dan Burke, just having him come in and we just had the podcast with Tony East where mm-hmm. like unprompted, he just brought up Burke and like, what a great job he's done over the years as the guy who overhauls people's defensive habits and just teaches in a way that nobody else does. And the Sixers, have a lot of guys that are supposedly you know elite to very good defensive players but especially last year we really didn't see that they weren't an elite defensive unit by any means so i'm excited to see what burke can do coming in with the roster we have where you know you have Embiid as this top-notch you know defensive player of the year defensive anchor type caliber player you have ben simmons who has made it on defensive team. He's growing into one of the best point of attack defenders in the league and one of the best disruptors with his steal and deflection numbers. And you got Matisse and Josh Richardson, still a very good defender. Um, I'm excited to see what Burke can do with all those uh, defensively talented and capable players at his disposal. And maybe if, you know, he turns that into an elite group, the some of the offensive friction concerns that exist with Simmons and Embiid just don't matter as much. Yeah, I yeah, I I'm similar to, to Sean and I don't really know much about most of the hires. I saw some or saw some stuff on Twitter about Burke and I, I read a couple of stories and obviously he seems to be the 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 you know the highlight below or behind Maury from yesterday. Um and I agree I think the big thing is if they can get to that elite defensive spot um, obviously, I think they're still going to have some offensive concerns regardless of what happens in the draft or free agency. Um, but if they can be an elite defensive team and they can get stops and get out and run transition more, that'll alleviate the Yeah, I, I tend to think that, because I've talked about this a lot, how the Sixers' defense, I just did not like their overall philosophy, how they basically – they stress so much taking away threes and running teams off the line, which is not a horrible practice. But when you look at like the Raptors and the Bucks, who were the two best defenses in the league, also gave up the most threes. A lot of it was it's worth it to us more to just hang back near the rim and kind of protect that paint 
And obviously the Bucks and Raptors ran into some troubles in the playoffs. The Bucks, especially with their lack of versatility or willingness to switch up their scheme, which is a huge thing come playoff time. But just it's really important to like, I think, emphasize how they need to keep people out of the paint, which is just something I don't think was emphasized enough. There were too many plays where just the like Shake Milton who's already not a great defender, just getting blown by and no one helping him at the rim because the Sixers were so focused on taking away all those perimeter shots. I And I I think Tony on last week's podcast was big on Dan Burke teaching the Pacers players how to angle themselves in order to keep guys from driving to where they wanted to. I would love to see if we – I would really hope to see some development from that in the Sixers perimeter defenders. But, yeah, I think that – I think they all sound like good hires. Uh one thing I wanted to note is with all these, doesn't it seem more likely that Ime Udoka is probably on his way out if Doc is basically bringing in a whole new staff? Yeah, I mean, besides all the names that were just mentioned, an earlier hire was Steve Yeager. Mm-hmm. And so you've got like three pretty top caliber assistant head coaches in uh, Yeager, Burke, and Cassell now. Um, alongside the rest of the staff that Doc has brought in. Um, so it's it's hard to see where Ime would fit into that. And uh, yeah, I think it's you know more likely than not that he gets a job somewhere else before the start of the season. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that too. I mean, he, he's been linked to so many different spots over the last few years. Obviously, you know, he made the leap from San Antonio to Philly, but um, with a new regime in place, both on the coaching staff and seemingly in the front office and everything that's you know, kind of swirling around him and all the openings he might be presented with. Um, yeah, I, I, would, I would echo Sean's sentiments and that it seems a lot more likely, and, and Daniel for that matter, it seems a lot more likely he's gone than on the Sixers bench starting whenever the season begins next year. Yeah, and that's a little unfortunate because Ime, I mean, Ime's a really well-liked guy around the league. There's a reason he's been like rumored for he was heavily rumored for the Chicago Bulls head coaching job before it went to Billy Donovan. You know, he's Emi Odoka is going to get a good job, whatever he go wherever he goes next. For sure. And uh, I, I mean, he's, a, you know, has a reputation as a great coach, but, you know, coming off a year where he was the one that was tabbed as being the guy to shepherd the Sixers defense, Mm-hmm. And given, you know, what the Sixers showed defensively, I don't think this would be the year where you have to say he deserves a promotion to a head coaching position somewhere. Um, I mean, I'm sure he will continue to be in those conversations and, you know, would be deserving to get it down somewhere down the line. But it's uh, I don't think that's the the year you want to come off of and say, like, hey, this is this is what I can bring to the table for sure. I think he a fresh start would be good for him and to, you know, put something else on tape as uh, what he can bring to the table. Yeah. It's not necessarily a banner year when you were expected to be a historically great defense coming into the season and you finished eighth right around where the nets did. Yep. Yeah. We did not see the bully ball that we were promised. No, we did not. Um, We're almost wrapping things up here. Uh, Jackson, Sean, any last closing thoughts, mainly on the Daryl Morey hire, just, any huge big takeaways, last things you want to get out there? I yeah, I think it's it's a it's very funny that they kind of were scapegoating analytics as yeah. <laughs> as the problem um, and talking about bringing in you know we have to bring in basketball people and not not to say Daryl's not a basketball person but he's kind of the godfather of analytics like Bill Simmons nicknamed him Dork Elvis yes for you know, what they do at the analytics conference every year um, and how like he's a rock star there. And so it's just really funny that they, they blamed analytics and now they brought him in to, to work above Elton. Um, also, it's, you know, it's like I, I said earlier, it's just really exciting uh, that he's here and it kind of wipes away the, the bitter taste of getting rid of Pinky to have you know his mentor come in and, and finish what Sam started, um, and uh, you know I think it just it casts this entire team and fandom in a, in a different light now. It kind of gives people license to feel optimistic and 
hopeful uh, and, and, and glad to be, to be rooting for the team again. Um, I think even if they had been successful last year, people were just in the back of their minds. They were a little bit thinking like, Hey, this, this wasn't how it was supposed to go down. It, it didn't, it, it wasn't how we envisioned it. I, and I think Moray, you know, coming in and, and making these crazy trades on the margins and, and having those pay off and maybe that being the final key to unlocking a championship. I feel, I feel like that would just hit a little differently for, for Sixers fans. No, we saw Sixers Twitter was barely able to contain itself when the Maury news broke. I know it would never happen, but if in like in a year, if Maury just out of nowhere was able to hire Sam Hinkie as like his assistant GM, do do we think the actual like Twitter app would break because Sixers fans just would explode everywhere? It would be like retweet Armageddon all over again. I think that would be what the analogous comparison would be. Yeah, I, I yeah, I, obviously Sixers Twitter was all over the place yesterday, as you mentioned, Daniel. I, I and they still love Hinky. I, I can't imagine what what the you know, reception would be if if uh, he came back, you know, next year or something. That would be quite the experience to watch unfold. Mm-hmm. But no, yeah, it was. I mean, we're probably that's a very long shot. Probably not going to happen, considering all that already happened with Hinky, which is unfortunate. But we probably got the next best thing in Daryl Morey who we were all excited for as, as soon as the he stepped down from the Rockets job we it was already speculated that you know because he tried to get the the Sixers tried to get him a year or two ago so that was obviously going to flow back into the circle like can the Sixers get him this time and lo and behold after we had all kind of dismissed the notion of it Maury is back and he's back with the Sixers and there's a lot of reasons to be excited now. I think the lesson here is that a dinner with Josh Harris can change a lot of minds. <laughs> he must be a great dinner companion. Oh man. Uh, that's a good note to end on. Uh, Jackson, thanks so much for joining us. Hopefully we'll have you on for the mock draft podcast. Get As long as the Sixers don't actually hire Hinky next week and we have to spend all podcasts talking about that. Hopefully we'll have you on. Uh, got anything you want to plug before we go uh no not right now i mean i got some stuff in the works but i'll i'll let it let it unfold when it does i uh, appreciate the two of you having me on this was a fun discussion and i'm glad that you're able to talk about some encouraging and positive things about the sixers for the first time and i'm sure a little while we are very glad to <laughs> all right new era daniel um i will talk to you next week for episode 2.0 of Talking about podcasts, things are good now. Yes, uh, it's a, I like the new title. Uh, see you next week, Sean. Bye.